Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome to D4. That stands, by the way, in case you didn't know, for D&D Deep Dive. Welcome. This is the show where each week we take a deep dive into one, sometimes two, specific character builds for Dungeons & Dragons. We crunch numbers about them, we theorycraft about them, not with the intent to tell you the right way or the best way to build or play a certain character, but to explore one potential way for doing so, in the hopes of creating something that is both really powerful, but also really fun to play. So if you enjoy creating characters for D&D almost as much as you enjoy playing the actual game itself, or if you're just looking for tips or ideas on a character that you're thinking about creating and playing, then welcome home. This is where you belong, and I am so glad that you're here, so thank you for being here. My name's Colby, and I'll be your host. Really quick, if you're interested in seeing a step-by-step -step cheat sheet written guide for this build and the other ones that I create on this channel in order to more easily recreate the character yourself without having to go back and rewatch the video or take notes, then you should consider joining the channel as a member. There's a little button down there somewhere. For $2 a month, you get access to the library of write-ups that I do for each of these builds every week. And maybe more importantly, for some of you anyway, it's just a nice way to support the channel and help me create more and better content. So a huge thanks to all of my channel members, and if you're not interested for whatever reason in being a channel member or just don't feel like you can afford it, that's okay. I'm glad that you're here. Thanks for being here. Liking, subscribing, watching the video, commenting, those are all also really great ways to support the channel, so thanks. So you want to build a gunk, a gun-fu monk, a monk who uses a gun. Is this the best monk out there, available in D&D 5e, as many people on the internets like to claim? I suppose that all depends on what you value. If, like me, the thing that you love most about being a monk is living your best kung fu Jackie Chan crouching tiger hidden dragon life, then maybe not. If, on the other hand, you value high, consistent damage in your character, like above all, it might be. You could certainly make the argument, at least. I mean, that said, there's no reason why you couldn't marry the crouching tiger hidden dragon fantasy with a slightly more modern, call it 18th century-esque martial artist who also makes the use of gunpowder. I mean, unless I'm wrong, the Chinese invented gunpowder, right? So if the D&D &D monk is heavily inspired by Asian cultures, perhaps the monk out of all the classes in D&D 5e is the one where using a gunpowder weapon would make the most sense. Regardless of your reasons, maybe the question we need to be answering before building a gunk is why? What's the benefit, mechanically, of using a gun on your monk versus, say, using a hand crossbow and taking the crossbow expert feed if you're looking for a ranged weapon monk? Let's break it down. If you can play with guns at your table, and from what I've seen, most DMs tend to allow at least the musket and the pistol, as their power isn't too far ahead of other conventional weapons in the game. Typically, it seems like if they allow artificers, they're going to allow at least these two type of firearms, right? The pistol, the musket. And if so, then the musket in particular is the highest damage dealing ranged weapon in the game at a d12. This in before somebody calls me out on my weapon damage doesn't matter poison dart frog from a couple of weeks ago. Now, the challenge, of course, with firearms is that they have the loading property, meaning that you can't make multiple attacks with them using your action, even if you had extra attack, right? That, of course, is where the gunner feat comes in. This lets you ignore the loading property of firearms, among other things. So if you have this feat, then you can now make multiple attacks with your action using the highest damage-dealing weapon in the game. But wait, you may exclaim. If we're spending a feat on a ranged weapon character, wouldn't we be better off taking the crossbow expert feat, since then you could also make a bonus action attack with the hand crossbow, giving us more attacks than the firearms user. As you yourself recently pointed out, Colby, the weapon's damage die doesn't matter as much as its properties. And in a world where the sharpshooter feat exists, we'd be better off with more attacks from a ranged weapon than we would be with a little more damage from the weapon itself, right? Actually, yeah, generally speaking, that's pretty much right. But, as with all rules, 
there are exceptions. If, for example, you had a way to get a weapon attack with your bonus action fairly reliably and consistently anyway, then wouldn't you be better off with the higher damage gun over the hand crossbow? Especially since the gunner feat is also a half feat letting you bump your dexterity by one and thus potentially giving you a higher dexterity ability score modifier than the hand crossbow user? The answer to both is yes. And thus, enter the dragon, uh, enter the monk. I proudly present episode 107, The Gunk. And FYI, yes, we're going to be building this character for sustained DPR today, i.e. consistent damage that you can do round after round for at least one entire combat encounter. Huge thanks to my friend Randall Hampton, as always, who creates fantastic artwork for the character concepts that I send him each week. The quality of his artwork is always amazing. This is no exception, of course. If you would be interested in following Randall or potentially knowing how you might reach out to him to see if you could commission him for some art for your character or even your party, I will, as always, put links in the video description on how to do so. Thanks, Randall. Before we jump into the build, I want to tell you guys about a new sponsor for the video this week that I'm actually really excited about. It's a company called Ren, and they actually have nothing at all to do with Dungeons & Dragons or gaming. And that's a first for me, I think. But they are involved in something that I feel pretty strongly about. And that actually is combating climate change. Most of you won't know this, and I'm sure some of you will be annoyed by this, and that's okay. But I'm actually a little bit of a tree hugger. I worry a lot about climate change. And I try to be conscientious about what I buy, how I live, in an attempt to like reduce the impact that I feel I'm having. I'm far from perfect. I know there's a lot more that I can be doing. And... That's actually what I really like about Ren. See, the way Ren works is really quite simple. You go to their website and you answer a few questions about your lifestyle. They make a calculation based on your answers to tell you about how much it would cost to offset your carbon footprint. At that point, you decide if you'd like to try to offset a portion of that carbon footprint or all of it, or maybe more than all of it. If so, you sign up to make a monthly donation and they take that money and put it towards funding projects that do just that. And, and there's a really great and wide variety of projects that they fund, from tree planting to a fire-preventing biochar program in California, to a mineral weathering program in Scotland, to providing clean fuel and stoves for refugees in Uganda. Each month, you'd get a report detailing how your money was spent. They make all of their work public, sharing every transaction and receipt so that you don't have to question where the money is actually going. And that's something that I actually really appreciate. So if you, like me, are interested in trying to offset some of your own carbon footprint, I hope you'll check out Ren. I'm going to put a link in the video description that you can click on in order to do so, and I'd appreciate it if you would click on that link because that's how they know that I sent you. But also, the first 100 people who sign up via that link, will have 10 extra trees planted in their name. So that's kind of cool. Go check them out. See for yourself the things that they're doing and the difference that they're making. And I hope you join them. So big thanks to Ren. Good luck fighting the good fight. Let's jump into the build. All right, at level one, for our starting class with this character, we are gonna go fighter. We have one main reason for needing a level of fighter on this character, and I'm guessing that many of you know what that is. We don't have to start fighter necessarily, but I'd just as soon do so if we're going to take any fighter levels at all because it gives us constitution saving throw proficiency, which is always handy, but especially if you plan on concentrating on a spell, which we actually will plan on doing a little bit later on this character. So. When we first meet our hero, they have perhaps not yet sequestered themselves in a monastery, but instead have been spending their time like in the city watch or in the army or as part of a mercenary band, perfecting their expertise with ranged weapons. Or perhaps better yet, for this character, we are like an acolyte or a, an apprentice or a grasshopper to the master of a monastery who is concerned not only with following the way of the leaf and finding inner peace, but is also interested in combining scientific pursuits with the more spiritual ones. Perhaps you have some expertise with ranged weapon use, but have come to this monastery because you heard that they were on the brink of discovering a chemical compound that could take the art of war to the next level. 
As for our race, there are two feats that we just have to have for this build, and starting with one, especially with all the multiclassing that we're going to be doing, is just more powerful, I think, than any other race option that would be available to us, so yes, I'm going back to my old ways and recommending that we go custom lineage here. Because yes, custom lineage characters get a free feat at level one, and Obviously, if you're going to be using a gun on your character, then you ought to be taking the gunner feat, because first up, it gives us firearm proficiency, but then, of course, in addition to firearms proficiency, it gives us so much more. We get plus one to our dexterity, as I mentioned, which is huge. It gives us the ability to ignore the loading property with firearms, as I've also mentioned, which is also huge. And then also, really nicely, the ability to not suffer disadvantage on ranged attacks if we're making that ranged attack while standing within five feet of an enemy. And actually, this is a pretty big deal for this character as well, but we'll get into why a little bit later. As for our ability scores, I am assuming that we're taking the point by method as always and recommend starting with a 15 dexterity, plus two from custom lineage there, plus one from the gunner feet, right? So we're starting with an 18 dex, that's awesome, I love it. And then a 14 wisdom and a 14 constitution. For our equipment, I'd say that we ought to take some scale mail, for now at least, and then a musket a pistol or a short bow, depending on what your DM will give you access to. There's a pretty decent chance that even if your DM allows firearms at their table, they're not going to let you just start off with the musket since the cost for them is listed as 500 gold. If that's the case for you, maybe you can convince them to let you have a pistol, which is a D10, but that even still costs 250 gold, pretty expensive. So if neither of those are an option, I just go ahead and grab a short bow. Heavy crossbow or longbow would work at this level, but not next, as we'll talk about in a second. So yeah, just use that short bow until you can afford those more expensive firearm weapons. As a fighter, at level one, of course, we get second wind that lets us, as a bonus action, once per short rest, heal ourselves for a d10 plus our fighter levels, always handy. And then we get a fighting style. And yes, we want to take the archery fighting style, and that's the main reason why we're taking a fighter dip here. My favorite fighting style in the game, it gives us a plus two to hit with ranged weapons, and against most enemy armor classes, that's just going to mean better, more reliable damage on average than adding a little bit of damage to a weapon hit would. Of course, we could get this fighting style in other ways, right? A couple levels in Ranger, spending a feat, but a single level dip in Fighter is, I think, the most efficient and effective way to do it, especially since we like the Constitution saving throw proficiency. So, yeah. But at level two, I'm thinking at this point in our career, maybe we've helped unlock the secret to gunpowder. And now maybe that was primarily the work of our master and we were just sort of an apprentice or an assistant. But as a result of our assistance, he's agreed to let us train in his monkish ways to maybe perhaps better make use of this new technology that you've unlocked together. Because yes, we are taking monk levels now. And as a monk one, we get unarmored defense, first of all, which tells us that while we're not wearing armor, our AC equals 10 plus our wisdom modifier plus our dexterity modifier. Currently with scale mail, we're at a 16 AC. Now, without it, we're at a 16 AC. So sure, might as well go naked. That way we won't have disadvantage on our stealth checks, right? Of course, if you somehow could get a breastplate or half plate at this level, or I mean, of course, plate mail, because we are proficient in heavy armor, then sure, that would be better for our armor class, at least until we get our dexterity up in the case of the medium armor, right? And I mean, I know heavy armor monks and yeah, like some people say it's really great and other people are like, Bleh. you know, we're not really planning on making a lot of use of martial arts on this character either, which is the other feature that we get at level one telling us that so long as we're not wearing armor or using a shield and only making attacks with monk weapons, which a firearm is not currently, we can make an unarmed strike as a bonus action, can use dexterity instead of strength for our monk weapon and unarm strikes, use a d4 in place of the weapon or unarmed strike damage, etc. And, you know, I suppose at this level you might be best off like going unarmored, taking advantage of martial arts, and making a short bow attack, which is a monk weapon, then making an unarmed strike with your bonus action. But that tactic will get outpaced before too long. Anyway, know what your options are, do what's best for your character. At level three, we would be a monk two, and we get unarmored movement. That's going to give us an extra 10 feet of move speed when we're unarmored and not using a shield. One more reason to go naked, right? But we also get key now at this level. And 
As most of you know, key is the thing that monks use to fuel just about everything they do. We get one key point per monk level and regain them on a short rest. Currently, we can use those key points to do three things. Flurry of Blows, which tells us that when we take the attack action and spend a key point, we can now make two unarmed strikes with a bonus action instead of the usual one. We can also spend a key point to take the dodge, disengage, or dash actions thanks to patient defense and step of the wind. Importantly for us, thanks to Tasha's Cauldron of Everything, we get the dedicated weapon feature, which tells us that we can touch a weapon, focus our key on it, and thereafter it becomes a monk weapon for us, so long as it lacks the special and heavy properties. And while the musket does have the two-handed property, it does not have the heavy or special properties, and thus can now become a monk weapon for us. So yes, after unlocking gunpowder, we've been spending some of our time and energy figuring out the best way to harness this amazing and deadly new technology. Finally, perhaps with our master's help, we've created this blunderbuss, this boomstick, this musket. And yeah, since we don't have extra attack or key-fueled attack yet at this level, go ahead and make a musket attack, and then bonus action for an unarmed strike or two, if you want. At level four, we would be a monk three, and we get deflect missiles first up. Sometimes useful, but always fun, always cool when you get to use it. This lets us use our reaction to reduce the damage of a ranged weapon attack that hits us by 1d10 plus our dex modifier plus our monk level, which should reduce most ranged weapon attacks to zero. And if we reduce it to zero, we can spend a key point and then turn around and make an attack with that ammo we just caught in our hand as part of the same reaction, treating it as a monk weapon. Awesome. But we also get key-fueled attack, and this is sort of the thing that makes the gunk actually work and work well. With key-fueled attack, we're told that if we spend a key point as part of our action, we can make an unarmed strike or monk weapon attack as a bonus action before the end of our turn. Now, we don't currently have a way to spend a key point as part of our action that would actually grant us a bonus action musket attack. Flurry of Blows, Step of the Wind, and Patient Defense all use our bonus action, but that will change soon. We also, of course, at Monk 3, get our monastic tradition, our monk subclass, and we are going to go, I'm sure many of you have guessed this by now, with the Kensei. And I think it's a perfect fit and the most appropriate of all monk subclasses for a gunk. Here's what we read from Wizards of the Coast about the Kensei. Monks of the Way of the Kensei train relentlessly with their weapons, to the point where the weapon becomes an extension of the body. Founded on a mastery of sword fighting, the tradition has expanded to include many different weapons. A Kensei sees a weapon in much the same way a calligrapher or painter regards a pen or brush. Whatever the weapon, the Kensei views it as a tool to express the beauty and precision of the martial arts. That such mastery makes a Kensei a peerless warrior is but a side effect of intense devotion, practice, and study. I think, thematically, again, for a monk who's maybe a little less kung fu and a little more my weapon is an extension of my body, we'd be hard-pressed to find a better fit for our gunk than a kensei, I think. But there's also some really nice mechanical benefits as well, of course. So as far as the features that we get here, we get kensei weapons. It lets us choose two weapons that, again, aren't heavy or special, but including the longbow, which is heavy, and can make them monk and kensei weapons. Our musket's already a monk weapon, but we need it to be a kensei weapon too if we want to use it for some of the special kensei features. What are those kensei features, you may ask? First up, agile parry. If you make an unarmed strike as part of the attack action, we can use our kensei weapon to defend ourselves if it's a melee weapon, so mm, it doesn't have a lot of application for us. The musket's not a melee weapon, of course, but on the off chance that you're holding a short sword for some reason, you would gain a plus two to your armor class here. Had you made an unarmed strike as part of your attack action. There's definitely like a monk tank build in there somewhere that I'll get to one day. The better feature for us, of course, is Kensei's shot. And this tells us that we can use a bonus action to add a d4 of damage to our ranged Kensei weapon attacks until the end of this turn. Unfortunately, that conflicts with trying to have key-fueled attack grant us a bonus action musket attack, right? Because this uses our bonus action too, so we'll really only be using this if we're out of or trying to conserve our key. And considering how little key we have, we might just be using it quite a bit. Also, we get a cool little ribbon feature here, Way of the Brush. It gives us proficiency with 
painters, or calligraphers' supplies. Not sure how much we'll actually be using either of those in-game, but I love the flavor. At level 5, we would be a monk 4 and we get our first ability score increase or feat, not counting the free feat that we got at level 1. And yeah, of course we're going sharpshooter. It lets us ignore disadvantage when making attacks from long range with our ranged weapon, meaning we can attack from up to 120 feet with the musket now without disadvantage, and from within 5 feet too, thanks to the gunner feet, right? So nice big range where we're not going to suffer disadvantage. Sharpshooter also lets us ignore half and three quarters cover when making ranged weapon attacks against an enemy in cover. And most importantly, lets us, when we choose to, add 10 damage to our ranged weapon attacks at the cost of a minus five to hit. No ranged weapon user should ever leave home without sharpshooter. But we also, as a monk here, get slow fall, and I love this ability madly. It lets us use our reaction when we fall to reduce any fall damage by five times our monk level, which should mean that we can fall from 50 to 60 feet on average currently and just land lightly on our feet, like a cat. Meow. At level six, we would be a monk five, and this is a huge level for us. First up, of course, we get Stunning Strike. With Stunning Strike, as most of you know, when you hit another creature with a melee weapon attack, and yes, this can mean an unarmed strike, we can spend a key point and try to stun them. If they fail a constitution saving throw, boo, they are stunned until the end of our next turn. This is really awesome, except that our wisdom and thus the DC of that con save isn't great, and also, we're not planning on making a lot of unarmed strikes on this character. That said, there will be times that it could work really well, and thanks to key-fueled attack, we could, say, use our action to make an unarmed strike, and then if it hits, try to stun them, spend that key point, and even if it doesn't stick and they're not stunned, we could still then make a musket attack with our bonus action since we spent a key point. And of course, if the stun did stick, then the attack we make with our musket would be with advantage since they're stunned, and that is really a pretty powerful combo. In fact, thanks to the fact that we also get extra attack at this level, if we landed an unarmed strike with our first attack, and tried to stun them, we could then make two musket attacks against them. One with the second attack that we now have, thanks to extra attack, and one with our bonus action, thanks to key-fueled attack. Even more powerful. But wait, there's more, because we also get focused aim here, thanks again to Tasha's Cauldron of Everything, and this is another feature that makes the gunk work so well. With focused aim, when you miss with an attack roll, you can spend one to three key points to increase your attack roll by two for each key point you spend, potentially causing that miss to become a hit. So forget Stunning Strike for now. With this, if we miss one of those two attacks that we get with our action, we can potentially turn a miss into a hit. Meaning that, of course, since we spent key as part of our action, we can make a bonus action attack with our musket. Now, the question, of course, is, am I going to assume that we've missed by just enough to spend a key point or two to then use focused aim and thus get that bonus action attack from our musket when I crunch the numbers? The truth is, the math is super complicated. At least, it's complicated for me. And since I'm always assuming best case scenarios when I'm crunching numbers, and also because I like to simplify the math if it gets to the point where it's starting to hurt my brain, which really doesn't take much, believe me then yes, yes, I am going to make that assumption. <laughs> and so, yeah, speaking of, at level six, it's time for our first damage report. Here's how I envision combat going for us at this level. We're simply making two musket attacks on our turn, using sharpshooter until really high enemy AC, stay tuned for when you should turn it off. And then I'm just assuming that one of those attacks missed by just enough for you to let you spend a key point or two to turn that miss into a hit thus getting you that third bonus action attack with the musket as well. I totally appreciate that this won't always happen. Admittedly, we could instead, without spending any key, simply use our bonus action to give our two attacks that we get with our attack action an extra d4 of damage, and that would help close the gap between best case and actual case numbers a teeny bit, or better yet, go for the aforementioned unarmed strike, try and stun them, and then make two weapon attacks maneuver, which would be even better damage, because that unarmed strike, if it hits, would, would do a d6 plus our dexterity modifier, right? regardless of whether or not the enemy actually got stunned, and if they did, the numbers go up because now the musket attacks are made with advantage. Also, of course, 
the reality is that we only have five little key points right now. So while we might be able to do this level of damage for one entire combat encounter, you know, most combat encounters at most tables are lasting four or five rounds on average. We would, of course, need a short rest after every single fight if we wanted to do this level of damage on every combat encounter, right? That said, what I'm also not accounting for is the extra chance that we have to hit thanks to focused aim if and when we do use it. So maybe the numbers I'm about to give you aren't quite so far off the mark after all. Regardless, with all of these caveats in place, if we can pull off the three sharpshooter-fueled musket attacks on our turn, we'd be doing a total of 3d12 plus 42 damage if all three attacks land. And so, against an enemy with a 10 armor class, we would on average do 47 damage per round, and against an enemy with a 15 armor class, it would be 32 DPR. Turning off sharpshooter at an enemy AC of 20 or higher. And that's kind of like middle of the pack for tier one compared to other sustained DPR builds that I've built to date at this level. And that means it's freaking awesome. Of course, there are some grains of salt in there, so feel free to lower your expectations a smidge for now. But at the very next level, we're going to have a way to get rid of at least one of those grains of salt. Because at level seven, we will be a monk six, and as a kensei, that means we get the deft strike feature. And deft strike is perfect for this build, and why I personally think that Kensei is the best monk, both thematically and now mechanically, for a gunk build. Deft Strike tells us that if we hit a target with a Kensei weapon, we can spend a key point to cause that weapon to deal extra damage to the target equal to our martial arts die, which is a d6 currently. Now, we can only do this once per turn, but honestly, we wouldn't want to do it more than once per turn because we want to save those key points. The beauty of this feature is not the extra damage, though that's fine, it's a d6, it's not a lot. The beauty of it is that now, if we miss with our attack, we can potentially spend key to cause it to hit, granting us that juicy bonus action attack. But also, now, if we hit with the attack, we can spend a key point to add some damage to the attack and also trigger that bonus action attack. All we have to do is spend key as part of our action, right? And now we've got two super reliable ways to do so. Whether we miss so long as it's only by, you know, four or less or hit, we're gonna trigger that bonus action attack. And that is super califragilisticexpialidocious. Also, something cool. When I typed that word out in my script, it didn't flag it as a non-word, it just auto-corrected it to the correct spelling, which means that supercalifragilisticexpialidocious is an official word in the English language. Usage is king. Thanks, Mary Poppins. Linguists of the world rejoice. We also get key-empowered strikes at this level, which tells us that our unarmed strikes are now considered magical for the purpose of overcoming resistance to non-magical attacks, and kenseis also get magic kensei weapons, which tells us the same thing for our kensei weapons. Very nice. At level 8, we could, of course, continue with monk levels. We want to, eventually, since we're gonna need some more key, and there are some decent monk and kensei features later on. That said, right now, the thing that would benefit us more than anything would be a way to reliably get advantage on our attacks. That minus five penalty to hit from sharpshooter just really hurts, even with the archery fighting style to help dampen the sting. So yeah, especially against higher enemy armor classes, advantage would just go a really long way to helping us reliably hit. And so, for that reason, I'm going to take a little detour here in order to pick up a way to somewhat reliably at least get myself advantage. Now, be warned, what I'm about to suggest is a little bit gimmicky, a little bit cheesy, and potentially problematic for other players at your table. So proceed with caution and definitely discuss it with your DM and other players at your table. If you'd prefer to just stick with Monk, especially if you tend to have two or more combats per short rest on the regular and thus find yourself running out of key all the time, I wouldn't blame you. As for us, at this point we've had our apron strings cut from our master and we are on our own, living in the wilds, living off the land, learning to commune better with nature, perhaps honing our ability to hunt an important enemy or group of enemies. It might even be a group that's like stolen the secret to creating gunpowder and we have to stop them at all costs, track them down before they turn this powerful weapon against the innocence of our world. Regardless of your reasons, yes, we are taking ranger levels now. And so, as a Ranger 1, we get the Deft Explorer feature, Canny, which 
basically gets us expertise in one skill that we're proficient in and lets us double our proficiency bonus for that skill. Acrobatics might be nice to avoid being grappled, among other things. Perception's always great. Or maybe stealth, especially if you might regularly be able to get surprise on your enemies. I'm just gonna say, pick your favorite here. And then we also, of course, get favored foe at Ranger 1, which tells us that proficiency bonus times per day, we can mark a target for one minute, letting us, so long as we maintain concentration, do an extra d4 of damage to that target the first time we hit them on our turn. Meh. If it didn't require concentration, it would be much better. But, oh well. If you don't have spell slots, otherwise, it will be handy. Because yeah, at level 9, we'd be a ranger too. And we get, well, first up, a fighting style. And I'm going to recommend that we take blind fighting. Is this the first time I've said that we have to take blind fighting on a build ever? I think so. That's exciting. All right, so with blind fighting, you can effectively see any creature within 10 feet of you that isn't behind total cover, including invisible creatures. That's kind of awesome for anyone, really, but especially for us, because yes, we do get spells here as well, and some of you are so excited about what I'm about to suggest. Because yeah, among other spells, we can here now learn the Fog Cloud spell. And for those who don't know much about it, with Fog Cloud, it takes an action to cast, it requires our concentration, and creates a 20-foot radius sphere of fog that makes the area heavily obscured. Remind me what that means, please. Okay, happy to. If an area is heavily obscured, any creature trying to see something within the area is effectively blinded. But of course, if you have the blind fighting style, which we do, then you can still see any creatures at least that are within 10 feet of you, even in a heavily obscured area. And so, yes, assuming your enemy can't see you, and most of them shouldn't be able to, then attacks you make against them will be with advantage, and attacks that they make against you will be with disadvantage. And yeah, a 10-foot range, not really big, and that's another reason why Gunner is a great feat for us, because if we're even within melee range, we're not going to be making those blunderbuss attacks with disadvantage, right? Now, yes, potentially there are some big drawbacks to this tactic, similar to like when we go Devil Sight Darkness route, yeah? If your allies don't have a way to see into heavily obscured areas, then they might get annoyed with you. Even though, yes, they still could make attacks against enemies inside the fog cloud without suffering disadvantage, since the enemy can't see me, so I have advantage on the attack against them, but I can't see them, so I have disadvantage on the attack and they cancel each other out. But, you know, if they otherwise would have had advantage anyway, well, that's now gone. And of course, a lot of things in game, spells especially, require you to be able to see the target. What's more, the fog can be dispersed with a bit of wind, and like I said, you can only see your enemies within 10 feet of you, right? So it's not like you can just attack any enemy that's within the fog cloud with advantage, unless you're running around and finding them. You gotta be close. All that said, despite the potential complications, I freaking love this tactic, on this character especially. I mean, we are the masters of gunpowder, right? Has anyone seen old, like, black powder, gunpowder, ignite? It creates a ton of smoke. So yeah, I would 100% flavor this as like me tossing out a specially crafted gunpowder smoke bomb here. And the thought of that just makes me giggle with glee. But again, if you're gonna go this route, talk it over with your party members and make sure that everyone's cool with it. If they're not, see if at the very least you can convince one of them to cast fairy fire every combat so you can have advantage, right? And then just stick with monk. Okay, for our level 9 damage report then, quite a bit has changed for us within the last three levels. We've added Deft Strike, which gives us a d6 of damage once per turn when we hit, and also would activate our key fueled attack. And of course, like I've said, if we missed our attack by a little bit, we could still spend a key point or two to turn that hit into an attack. And yeah, note, if you do this, I definitely wouldn't also activate Deft Strike, unless you know that combat's about to end and you're very likely to get a rest after it's finished. Either way, I'm feeling a lot better about our likelihood of getting three attacks per turn, so long as we have the key to spend, of course. And then, yes, we've added advantage to those attacks thanks to the fog cloud blind fighting tactic. Here's hoping your party's cool with it. 
And if not, that you've got another reliable way to get advantage, because if you do, against an enemy with a 10 armor class here, you would on average do 65 damage per round, and against an enemy with a 16 armor class, it would be 52 DPR. And we would turn off Sharpshooter at an AC of 22 and higher. And yeah, we are again sort of just right in the middle of tier 1 compared to other sustained DPR builds that I've done to date at this level. And in case you don't know, check the video description to find spreadsheets that give you all those numbers and graph everything. And yeah, we are just living our best gunfu life. At level 10, we would be a Ranger 3, and we get Primal Awareness. This basically means that we get the Speak with Animals spell for free, and can even use it once per day without spending a spell slot. Neato. Also, at Ranger 3, of course, we get our Ranger subclass, our Ranger archetype. And yeah, we're just gonna go with the good old-fashioned Hunter. You could definitely go a different route here. I'm sure some of you were thinking I was gonna say Gloomstalker. It's, of course, always powerful for some extra burst damage on the opening round of combat. I'm not building for burst damage necessarily here. That's not to say that you couldn't benefit from it. Um, I also really love Fey Wanderer, Swarm Keeper, but... I think for sustained DPR, Hunter is my favorite Ranger subclass. Unless we were really in need of a weaponized bonus action, and then you'd probably want to go Beastmaster. Anyway, let's read what Wizards of the Coast has to say about Hunters. Emulating the Hunter archetype means accepting your place as a bulwark between civilization and the terrors of the wilderness. As you walk on the Hunter's path, you learn specialized techniques for fighting the threats you face, from rampaging ogres and hordes of orcs, to towering giants and terrifying dragons. Okay. Pretty straightforward, nothing wrong with that. The reason, of course, that I wanted to go Hunter was for the feature that we get at level 3 here, Hunter's Prey, which lets us choose between three nice little perks, but we can only choose one, unfortunately. Colossus Slayer basically gives you an extra d8 of damage against an enemy once per turn. If you were truly trying to just maximize single target damage, I think this would be the way to go. Giant Killer is flavorful, but only situationally useful, I think. It lets us get an extra attack against an enemy using our our reaction if they are large size or greater and hit or miss us with an attack. If you're fighting tons of giants like you're playing Storm King's Thunder or something, maybe I go this route. But I think my favorite option of all three personally is the Horde Breaker option and that's what I would take here I think. With Horde Breaker, if we make a weapon attack against an enemy, regardless of whether it hits or misses, once per turn we can make an extra weapon attack against another enemy that is within 5 feet of that first one. Now, I appreciate that you're not always going to get enemies standing right next to each other. I also appreciate that, generally speaking, doing all of your damage to a single target tends to be more efficient and optimal than splitting your damage up between multiple targets. That said, one weapon attack from us right now does about 21 points of damage on average. Compare that to the 5 or so that we'd be doing with Colossus Slayer, and even though the 21 damage would be to a second target, and we won't always have a second target available to hit, I still have a hard time passing up that 4 times more damage from Hordebreaker than Colossus Slayer. Feel free to take Colossus Slayer if you want, or even Giant Killer if you feel confident that you're regularly going to be fighting big baddies. But at level 11, I think we probably leave Ranger behind. You could stick with it, of course, for the ASI slash feet next level, if nothing else. You know, there's also nothing wrong with picking up more and better Ranger spells, including some nice utility and defensive options. Hunter has some decent stuff later on. For me, with my focus here on damage, I think I'm going to go back to Monk both to pick up some much-needed additional key points, but also to get a really nice higher-level Kensei feature and the fun utility and defensive features that monks get along the way. So yes, we'd be among seven, and here we get evasion, first of all. That's a really great defensive feature, telling us that when we have to make a dexterity saving throw to take half damage on an area of effect thing, like a fireball, etc., if you fail the save, you only take half damage, and if you make the save, you take no damage. Very nice. We also get Stillness of Mind as a monk, which tells us that we can use our action to end the charmed or frightened effect on ourselves. Now, many argue that you can't use this if you're under the effect of something that doesn't let you have control of your action. A solid argument. That's not how we rule it at my table, but depending on how it's ruled at yours, this is a pretty nice feature or not that great. I hope for you it's pretty nice. At level 12, we would be a monk 8. And we get another ability score increase or feat finally, and yeah, I'm gonna bump our dexterity here, capping it at 20, kind of a no-brainer. It adds to our AC, to our damage, to our initiative, etc, etc. 
Dex is kind of the god stat of 5e, right? At level 13, we would be a monk 9, and we get an unarmored movement improvement. This lets you move across liquids and across vertical surfaces without falling, and that is really, really cool. I don't know how useful it actually is going to be in your campaign, um, but I still love it anyway. Just, you know, don't end your turn on top of the water or else you're going to fall in. Fortunately, we have 45 feet of move speed right now, so that should let us get across some pretty decently sized ponds or scale some pretty tall towers. You could use your action to dash and then your bonus action too, right? Thanks to Step of the Wind. So that would give you 135 feet of move speed on your turn potentially. Not bad at all. For our level 13 damage report then, we have added a fourth attack per turn, albeit to a secondary target, and yes, I'm just going to assume that we're getting that every round, even though I know that we won't necessarily. Best case scenario. We've also picked up a lot of nice utility and defense, we've capped our dexterity score, and perhaps most importantly of all, picked up a bunch more key points, right? And so, against an enemy with a 10 armor class, we would on average do 92 damage per round, and against an enemy with a 17 armor class, we would do 75 DPR. And we've slipped just a tad now compared to other tier 1 builds, we're kind of more like in the bottom half by comparison at this level. Other builds have kind of outscaled us generally speaking, but hey, tier 1 is tier 1. We are a happy gunk. At level 14, we would be a monk 10 and we get purity of body, which gives us immunity to disease and poison. Okay, I mean... Those things come up once in a while, and when they do, you will really love having this. I think I've told you guys the story of how, at the end of the Rise of Tiamat campaign, spoiler alert, when we were fighting the aspect of Tiamat, the big bad final boss, which was awesome, by the way. I really wish we were recording our games back then. You guys should have seen the work that Corey and Scott put into, like, creating all the models and the platforms and everything for us to play on. So epic. Catch our actual D&D games, Tales of an Area, right there, sister channel. Anyway, in that fight, I kept getting really lucky, and Corey, our DM, was rolling and wound up having the green dragon head attack me, like, every single time on my monk, Ariana, just over and over, and being immune to all that poison damage that I was supposed to be taking just made me laugh so hard, and made Corey cry a little bit. Kudos to him for not fudging the dice and pretending that, like, he actually rolled the firehead or whatever. Anyway, at this level, we also get another key point. At level 15, we would be a monk 11, and we get, as I can say, the sharpen the blade feature. And this is the main reason, really, why I wanted to go back to monk, aside from just picking up more key points. This is really a pretty great feature, especially for those of us who are always looking for ways to spend key as part of our action to enhance our attacks so that we can then get a bonus action attack, right? With Sharpen the Blade, as a bonus action, we can spend up to three key points to grant our Kensei weapon a bonus to hit and damage equal to the number of key we spend. And this bonus lasts for an entire minute. Now, admittedly, this ability might not be quite as amazing as the spreadsheet is going to show because it doesn't work on weapons that already have a bonus to hit and damage, right? And since we're level 15, I mean, it seems pretty likely that you're at least going to have a plus one weapon at this point, right? That said, I don't know that for sure. Maybe your DM will be loath to give you a magic gunpowder weapon since... They're already maybe a teeny bit overtuned as is. If nothing else, while having a plus one or plus two weapon might be fairly likely at this point, I'm not sure that having a plus three weapon is all that likely. So yeah, when I crunch numbers going forward, I will assume that we have a plus three weapon now. And that's gonna do some pretty fantastic things for our numbers. And yeah, it's a bit of a bummer that we have to spend a bonus action to activate this, but we're already using round one to set things up for ourselves, right? If we're using the fog cloud tactic anyway. Such is life for most characters in 5e that want to do really high consistent damage. D&D world problems. But at level 16, now that we've got a healthy heaping of key, and the sharpen the blade feature. I think I'll probably end the build by going fighter. I mean, I don't know. If I were actually playing this character in game, I might stay monk, especially if we were gonna get to level 20, right? Just to get, first of all, another ability score increase or feat that I would probably use to raise my wisdom for a better saving throw, better stunning strike DC, and a better armor class. And then at monk 14, we get the really nice diamond soul feature that would give us proficiency in all saving throws. But since I'm a slave to the spreadsheet and I want to eke out as much damage as I can here, not to mention that monk 13 is kind of a very anticlimactic 
tongue of the sun and moon feature and that's where the build would have ended since I stop at 17, right? This is the worst monk level I ever have. Let's go back to fighter here to finish the build. And that means we'd be a fighter too and we get action surge. And honestly, yeah, there's a really strong argument to do this long time ago, probably before taking ranger level since having two actions on your turn once per short rest is just so dang strong. It gives you some really easy on-demand burst damage when you need it. And maybe if I were actually playing this character in game, that's what I would have done. Probably, yeah, right after monk six, I think. And then finally for us at level 17, we would be a fighter three and we get our martial archetype, our fighter subclass and no I'm not taking a gunslinger because gunslingers aren't official material even if they do show up on D&D Beyond and as everybody knows I never do unofficial material <laughs> even if it is something created by Matt Mercer from Critical Role with one exception I probably will do a gunslinger build one day actually, but only once the demand from you guys gets high enough. So gunslinger fans, make your voices heard. But no, for me, I think here I probably go with my favorite fighter subclass, the Rune Knight. I don't think it's necessary, but it does potentially add to our sustained DPR and it also gives us some really fantastic runes. Because yeah, as a Rune Knight, we get giant smite, first of all, it's fun, it's cool. It does cost us a bonus action to activate, meaning that yeah, most fights we're probably only gonna get the bonus damage that it grants us if we can see that combat is about to break out and we decide to activate it beforehand or something. Because spending a bonus action to activate it would more often than not be less valuable than using your bonus action for an extra weapon attack, right? Regardless, I'm going to assume that we've got it active when I crunch the numbers, just in the interest of exploring best case scenario. But it's not going to make a huge difference either way because yeah, when you activate Giant's Might, it lets you grow up to large size, gives you advantage on strength checks and saves, and then once per turn when we hit with a weapon attack we can add an extra d6 of damage. And we can use Giant's Might, but the best part about Rune Knights, of course, is their, well, runes. You now get to learn two runes that you carve into your weapon or something that you're wearing and get to use them for some really fantastic effects. My favorite, as most of you know, is the cloud rune. This lets you once per short rest and with your reaction, take an enemy hit made against you or an ally within 30 feet and direct that hit to another creature of your choice also within 30 feet. And that's just so dang fun and powerful to use in game. But for my second rune, I think I'm probably going fire on this build. This lets you add a little extra fire damage once per short rest to a successful weapon attack. And it kind of potentially shackles that enemy in some fiery chains, right? Potentially restraining them if they fail a strength save against your constitution modified DC. Using these runes just brings a lot of fun and flavor and potency. But for our final damage report, I'm gonna be adding, yes, now I'm going to be adding a plus three to our hit and damage thanks to Sharpen the Blade, which is kind of huge. That puts us at a plus 16 to hit for those counting. And, you know, that's only plus 11 if we have Sharpshooter turned on, but plus 11 is still really good. We've also picked up, yeah, that extra D6 once per turn thanks to Giant Smite, which we might not necessarily get all the time, but don't forget the nice defensive utility and now even burst damage features that we've picked up along the way as well. Landing this character at the end of the day in a pretty well-rounded place, and that's always fun. And so against an enemy with a 10 armor class here, we would at this level do 109 damage per round on average. And against an enemy with an 18 armor class, it's not much less, 101 DPR. So yeah, we broke the centennial barrier. Now we are still very near the bottom of tier one by comparison at this level, but again, we're happy to have held on to tier one especially as a character who is mostly a monk. And so let's go over final thoughts. The tier score for this character, when you take all of the damage that they do at all of the enemy armor classes that we calculate for at each of the damage reports ends up being a 63, just slightly under 63. And that puts us right near the bottom of tier one, just ahead of the Pokemon trainer and right below the Drake Warden Ranger. And you know what? This is the only character in tier one that has more monk levels than any other class. Unless you count the monk grappler build that I did a long time ago, but that really just isn't viable because I was using the unearthed arcana version of the spore druid, which got a big nerf on release. So yeah, 
I don't count that one. You probably shouldn't either. So yeah, the only character in tier one with more monk levels than anything. And I mean, the question that I had at the beginning was, is the gunk the highest damage dealing character that we can make? And I mean, at least for sustained DPR, it just might be. At least I guess I can just say it's better than anything I've done to date. Not that someone else couldn't do better, or that maybe I'll figure out something better myself one day, but looked at in that light, total success. And I mean, on the other hand, you still do get to be a monk and still get access to most of the really cool slow fall running on water, snatching a shot arrow right out of the air with your bare hands, redirecting it back to your enemy. All that awesomeness and flavor that monks get to enjoy, right? Sure, you might be a little light on the kung fu, but you still can do stunning strike once in a while. And I mean, at the end of the day, who needs kung fu when you can have gun fu, right? Am I right? Guys, don't leave, please. I'm sorry, I didn't mean it. I know, that was really bad. <laughs> anyway, that's the build for the week. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I definitely enjoyed making it. So I hope you know how much I love you. You guys are awesome. Thank you so much for all you do to support me, to support the channel. I am eternally grateful for you. I hope that you'll check out the other content in the channel if you're not in the habit of doing so currently. But more importantly, I hope you have a really fantastic day and a great week and that you stay safe and that you be kind and good and that I see you again really soon. But until then, take care. Bye. <laughs> guns in the sky, do do. Guns in the sky, do do. Guns in the sky, do do. Guns in the sky, do 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 do. Guns in the sky. Child grows up to see. Guns in the sky used to be on TV. Wanna change? Forgot the joke. It's great to see you, but I'm running late. Da da da. Love your hair. Da da da. Lend me a tan. Da da da. Really love your big house. Da da da. Could you spare a dime? And I'm sick of it. It's a load. You know, I used to listen to a lot of NXS back in the day. Good band. It's really the only song that I can think of off the top of my head that had guns in it. Okay. Serenity now. Hold, please. Let's investigate just a little more closely to make sure I'm not misspeaking. We, we, we... Well, I guess I don't need that. Um, well, don't even say that. Yeah, let's let's rephrase that a little bit. <clears throat> don't say that. Well, don't say that. Uh, blah, blah, blah. I already said that, so don't say that. My day's going great, thanks. How was yours? Fine. School go well? No, it's good. It's just uh, school. School. Gun-fu. You used to be vegan, and now you will be gone. <laughs>